your positive, positive, positive imprint. Stories are everywhere. People and their positive action inspire positive achievements. Your PI could mean the world to you. Get ready for your positive imprint. Well, my goodness, I have been buried in snow, believe it or not. But it's been a fun and an amazing time. My husband and myself, and of course our little dog, are just loving the snowshoeing. Right now I'm waiting for my creative artistic hubby to finish his snow art. Can't wait to see what it's going to be. This is Catherine Praisewater, your host of Your Positive Imprint. I am so pleased to feature Jess Van Schalvik on my podcast. She is a member of the phenomenal response team, All Hands and Hearts. These are the folks who go early and stay late in communities that have been hit by a natural disaster. The response team goes in and they rebuild communities and schools, and they help bring normalcy back into the lives of the residents. Listen to Jess tell about her own account and what thank you really means to victims of natural disasters. We cannot control nature, but we can control our actions following a natural disaster. So I want to welcome Jess, who has put her heart and soul into this organization. Welcome, (laughs) Jess. Thank you so much for having me, Catherine. Uh, So as you said, my name is Jess, as I go in the organization, Jess VS, because I have a really (laughs) weird surname. My full name is Jess Van Skulkvake. So I come from sunny South Africa, um, and I'm a surfer by day, I guess, and a disaster manager by trade and passion. Um, And then I did most of my degree here, and then I did six six months in Thailand, and then moved home and got an offer from All Hands to come and be a, a intern with them in the States and my, my aunt and uncle live in Boston so I moved there for a year and at the end of that all hands said well we want to keep you and I said yeah but I yeah. want to go home so they, they said well it doesn't matter where you work from and it's, it's worked out really well so I'm based here and I just travel out whenever they need me so it's it's been a lot of fun <laughs> so where I live I live in a forested area so we have nothing like crazy dangerous but we do have wildlife around where I live and then because South Africa is so vast the wildlife changes depending on where you are so um, we have our big game parks which is where you go on safari and that's like the big five elephants lions uh, buffalo leopard rhino and that's where you get like all the big game but then across south africa you get like vervet monkeys which are the really cute but naughty gray monkeys and little cats so they like nowhere near a lion but serval cats civet cats porcupines and eaters it's yeah but i promise we don't have lions in our gardens like that is an urban myth that needs to be destroyed it's not a thing (laughs) we have them in game reserves we don't have them in our own gardens so i started with the organization in actually in 2016 as a an intern for the organization and i packed up my life in south africa and i moved to the states and i started traveling to all of our programs volunteering on the ground um, and doing research on the organization to see how can we make sure that we are touching as many lives as possible so two years later i'm still here and the organization's been through a lot of changes um, and i think all of them have been for the better So uh, we started out as two separate organizations, All Hands Volunteers that was started by David Campbell and Happy Hearts Fund that was started by Petra Nemkova. Each of them have their own unique stories. And I know you you briefly touched on it in the intro. 
David was actually kind of reaching retirement when the great Indian Ocean tsunami hit. And he decided to basically pack a bag and head across to Thailand to go and help. And he had over 40 years of business experience. And when he got there, he just started coordinating people on the ground. And that was how All Hands Volunteers came to be. And Petra Nemkova, our other co-founder, sadly, she was actually involved in the tsunami and she was swept away. Unfortunately, um, she lost her partner and she went through some really hectic situations while she was there. Um, she broke her pelvis and she was clinging to a palm tree for eight hours when a Thai man found her. And through that situation and going back and seeing the need that was there, she decided to start Happy Hearts Fund, which was her organization. And over the years, we've worked together. And so in the fall of 2017, we actually merged to form All Hands and Hearts. Um, and by doing that, it means that we have more volunteers and we have more funding and more funding opportunities. And we've been able to touch so many lives as a result of it. And I feel really privileged to be a part of this organization. This week, I was actually speaking at my own university that I graduated from last year and talking about how this is my dream job. And and on a daily basis, I wake up excited about what we're doing. Um, and so to date, we've actually run 103 disaster programs around the world. Um, we've been able to rebuild 250 schools, and that's allowed more than 108,000 children to return to school. Um, and in all of this, in the 18 countries that we've worked in, uh, we've actually been able to help more than 1,188,000 people. So I feel very blessed to be a part of an organization who has had such an impact. Um, and when, when I'm on program and I meet the volunteers and the unique people that come from literally every part of the globe, I leave with my spirit so lifted that there is actually things happening out there that are good, that are positive. Because I think uh, the media today is so saturated with negativity and what's going wrong. And it's kind of this doomsday message all the time. But when you get out there and you see how many people are giving up their lives to go and help someone that they don't even know, it's really an incredible and a humbling experience because so many of us are just getting caught up in the day-to-day -day and we don't realize what is happening in places like Puerto Rico where they still are trying to recover from the hurricane and Nepal where it's more than three years after the earthquake hit and there's still schools that are basically rubble and homes that are still in pieces. So yeah, that's a, an overview of who we are and what we do. And I'm just, I'm really, really happy to be a part of the organization. Well, it's, it's heartwarming to hear the love that you have for your job because you truly, truly, as you said, your spirit is uplifted when you give hands. And that's part of what I want your positive imprint to be. And I know that's what you want your organization to be. We want to spread the inspiration yeah. of positive achievements that are inspiring positive actions. But not just inspiring positive actions, but also helping others to live better and more successful lives and to feel good about what we've done for them. So I want to go to your your job right now, right quick. You you talked about that you are, did you say manager, program manager? 
No, so I work um, at the moment. I'm working in the marketing department, um, and we all tend to kind of move around within the organisation. So, at one point or another, everyone has been a volunteer, and as the, the marketing team, every three months or so, we travel to the programs um, so that everyone is actually getting first-hand experience. And I think most people, when we say we're taking leave, we don't. <laughs> um, our vacation going on programs so um yeah none of us are ever away from program and i think that is part of the beauty of this is that it doesn't matter what department you work in you always have a connection to the field teams and it really does feel like a family so at the moment i'm working as the digital channels coordinator and that is a vast array of things, um, but running the website, helping our digital channels manager with social media, working with our content creators who are in the field every single day, gathering the stories and feeding it back to us. And yeah, public relations, wherever things pop up, like just going for opportunities that allow as many people as possible to to hear our message. And then obviously connection with the teams on the ground. That's yeah, the most of our work is making sure that they know what is happening in marketing and that we know what's happening on the ground. Well, and you're very well spoken, so you're obviously very perfect for this position and for getting that word out. <laughs> so I want to go to some logistics on how you actually get into a disaster area, because certainly there's all sorts of red tape that you have to go through because there's not going to be a good place to fly into. Obviously, if it's tsunami, you're, I mean, there's, how do you actually get into a disaster area to provide the all hands that you do? So we are very lucky to have uh, domestic and international response directors who have a lot of experience with that. I think that's where it starts for us. They know who to contact they've they've networked they've made connections in country for most of the world they have connections so the first thing that we will do is when a disaster hits we will monitor it online so using social media to see what is being said by the country itself um, by people who are in that country we'll look to the media to see okay, what, what is the situation that we're, we're getting from that resource? From there, we will then decide whether or not we need to send in what we call our DART team. And they are our immediate response assessment team. And to get them into the country, that is always the challenge because you're dealing with a, a disaster zone. But what we do is speak to those in-country partners and the, the network connections that we have and figure out where is going to be the safest place to get our team in. We are very, very strict, I guess, on making sure that all of our staff are safe. So we'll determine where is it safest for us to go in. It might mean that we have to stay 16 hours outside of the disaster zone, or we could be one hour outside of the disaster zone. Whatever is going to be safest for our team, that's where we'll place them. And then it's just a matter of working with other NGOs, working with government to figure out, okay, how do we do this? That's going to benefit everyone. So we do work very closely with governments because we don't want to step on any toes. We're there to help. We're not there to hinder. And so it's it's all about relationship at the end of the day. Um, getting into a country, getting into a disaster zone, yes, there's the logistics behind it of what plane, train, flight, whatever it is that you need to get in. But in order to coordinate those things, 
we make sure that we're dealing with the right connections. To me, I mean, this is, I'm trying to get this all in my head because we can't predict these natural disasters. So you obviously have a team that knows exactly what they're doing. And you talked about partners. So you have partners in, is this worldwide or are they just people that you connect with? I mean, what, how does, or are they organizations that you partner with like Red Cross or... So we have uh, we have a lot of um, partners that are official partners of us. Red Cross being one of them, we do work with them on occasion. But yeah, a lot of the time it's, it's also through personal networks. So Gary Patu's our current director of international response. He has spent so many years building up relationships with people around the world. So he is from the UK, um, but I don't think Gary has spent that much time in his own apartment <laughs> in the last few years. Um, he's, he's always on a plane somewhere. And it's just through the amount of responses that he's done, he's made those those connections that give him that kind of unique advantage of being able to phone someone up and say, hey, we've heard that this is affecting your area. Do you need our help? Or do you think that your own countries can be able to handle it? But at the same time, it is those those partnerships that we've created. And I think within the, the disaster relief field, people are pretty willing to work together. If if I have something that you need and you have something I need, at the end of the day, we're here for the people that need us most. So it's it's really beautiful to watch because I actually went in with our DART team to Madagascar, um, I think it was two years ago, after Cyclone Anawo hit. And when we got there, we have what's called a cluster meeting and you sit and you chat amongst all the different NGOs that are there to say, okay, well, what resources do each of us have and how can we share them? And some of them had a boat, some of them had water, some of them had the food that needed to be distributed. And so it's just about coordinating amongst the different groups. Um, and that it doesn't happen all the time. Sometimes we just go in. In the US, it's usually easier to do our responses, but it doesn't matter where we are. If, if it requires working with partners, then that's how we'll do it. Um, or otherwise, we actually just look at getting our immediate response team and doing assessments and from there determining whether or not it is, it's worth us setting up a program or if we're not needed in that area. And that's when we then start bringing in the volunteers who come and help. That's so amazing. I'm, this is so incredible to hear the actual story. And then your logistics of going in. It is really incredible to hear from you this great positive imprint that is affecting the world. And as you said, more than a million people. So now you're in the countries. Okay, so we've gotten through your logistics and getting in there. So your volunteers, you have volunteers that are already signed up, they're already trained, so you just hit a button, they go, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was that easy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it's a bit of that, but what will usually happen is when we have done the assessments and we determine that, yes, this country needs us, then we will set up a volunteer application on our website and we will start using our own social media to say, we are starting a program here. We need oh, your help. Oh, my goodness. And any person on the face of the earth who has a willing heart 
and wants to help, they can sign up to come and volunteer with us. So we do have an alumni network of volunteers because we've had more than 50,000 volunteers with us over the last 14 years. It's incredible. Like we are so grateful to have them and that is ever growing. So with each disaster, we put this application up and we get these new volunteers that come in and you don't have to be skilled or trained or anything. If you can hold a paintbrush, join us. If you can use a hammer, come and join us. If you can't, we'll teach you. Still come and join us. It's an organization that literally welcomes anyone. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter where you come from, what you believe in. We accept everyone. At the end of the day, we are there for the people that need us. And so we need those volunteers to come in. And that's why we provide the training on site. So you just get yourself to the program. We will cover your food and accommodation while you're staying with us. And then we give you all the training that you need to be safe in the field when you're working. And we have site supervisors that oversee the volunteers in their day-to-day work. So safety is a, a major priority for us. And we just make sure that doesn't matter how little or how lot <laughs> you have in terms of experience we all make sure that there's a place for you well, this is so much fun i'm learning so much i had no idea that you just i just thought oh you have all these volunteers within the organization and <laughs> they're just ready to go boom like a volunteer firefighter you get called you go wow <laughs> this is amazing wow okay so now your this other quote or this other phrase or or slogan of you guys is phenomenal. And I think it came from David. Come early, stay late. That's powerful when you're looking at a natural disaster and people that are needing that hope. So go ahead. You wanted to say something. <laughs> this, I think it's my favorite quote that I've ever heard when it talks about disaster management. So I actually studied disaster management and that was my degree and it's my postgraduate. And so I'm super, super passionate about disaster management. And I think for a long time, people have been very reactive to disasters. So they wait for it to hit. And then when it hits, they address it as quickly as possible and then they leave. And that is not what we need in disaster management and in disaster relief work. It's about getting to the problem as soon as possible, but staying as long as you need, and then also making sure that the solutions you implement are going to build long-term sustainability. So yeah, as an organization, we pride ourselves on being able to get there really quickly um, because we have this incredible network of volunteers where we know we can call on them and they are going to show up. And when we're there, we make a commitment to stay with that community as long as possible so that we can help them rebuild. And in every single thing that we do, we focus on rebuilding in a disaster resilient way. That is, I think, what makes us quite unique is that we don't focus on short term immediate solutions. We focus on the long term and make sure that if another hurricane comes through, whether it be category two or category five, that home is going to stay standing. That school is not going to fall like it did the first time. Well, and now you mentioned the long-term sustainability and schools. That's one thing that I've been reading about you that you're very good at. at well, you're good at everything with it, but you're really strong <laughs> at making sure that the children have a safe school to go to while the rest of the area is still being worked on and homes are being worked on, but the kids have that safe place. How do you build these schools? Basically, are funded through just donations because you're nonprofit. So 
building the schools is not an easy thing to do, nor is it cheap. So how do you go about getting that done? And so well. <laughs> we are very fortunate to have the donors and the partners that we do because they help us to get the funding that we need. Um, and it's not to say that we have all the funding that is ever going to be required <laughs> because as a nonprofit, it's always, always very a challenge. Much so. Yeah, they they allow us to get the the materials that we need to rebuild these schools. And then we bring in experts that can help us with actually finding out what is going to be the best in terms of design for the area. Um, A very critical thing in what we do is making sure that the buildings we construct are area specific. So you can't take a plan for Madagascar and apply it to Puerto Rico. Yes, there might be similar elements, but we always make sure that whatever we're building is going to be one built for the the disasters that are could be expected in that area, but also that the community it's being built in that they are happy with it. So we work a lot with the community and using community knowledge as well, because I think a lot of knowledge sits in the communities that have lived in these areas for so long. And so we draw on that and make sure that they actually have a say in what's being done because we could say, well, this is a great building. And if they say, no, it's not, we know it's going to fall. Well, we need to listen to that. Donors help with materials. We listen to the locals. We bring in experts that can actually help us with designing it. And then again, it comes down to the experience of our long-term volunteers and our site supervisors, program directors who actually get the job done. And we evaluate everything that's being built daily. We look at, okay, is the wall straight? Because if the wall's not straight, it's going to come down. And just those little things, we are very, very determined to make sure that that school stands. And in Dominica, We've actually just wrapped up our program there and rebuilt a school that is both earthquake and hurricane resistant and also offers shelter from disasters in future. So we've provided the community with a a shelter when they need it, but also a school that means all those kids that had nothing to learn and that was safe, they now have a place that's safe. And it's all about the future. And education, we know, is about the future. So providing those kids with that school means they have hope for a future that's going to be bright where they can learn and they don't have to worry because when a disaster hits afterwards, it's very, very unnerving. And I know not everyone can say they've, they've lived through a disaster. None of us know what it feels like until we've been there. But we've seen the communities and we know what impact it has. And just being able to provide that hope through safe structures is it's a really really humbling thing to be a part of well and and i think just you going in and talking to the people about the building shows your respect for the culture and your respect for the future that's phenomenal and that is a wonderful thing that that I applaud your organization in doing because we don't often have a collaborative discussion on when a building is going up and and I know that aesthetics is part of that when you're talking to the folks there because culture is important to them even in disaster. You know, they don't want their culture to disappear through a building that doesn't fit in. So hope, bringing hope. The natural disasters occur and can you share like some of reactions that you've had or some of the relationships that you've built with people who have been in these situations and how they see you, not just how they see you, but how they react to when you show up in your purple shirts? <laughs> <laughs> it's a, an incredible experience and one that I, I don't think I will ever get used to. When you go into a community 
and you look around and it is flattened. There's nothing standing. And what is standing, you can see it's not standing the right way around. And you you go up to the, the remnants of a home and someone comes walking towards you and the sorrow on their face initially is, it's so overwhelming that it actually hits you in like the back of your throat. And you're like, how do I, how do I actually talk to this person? Because it's, it's so hard to relate to that situation. And then when they read all hands and hearts on your shirt and the light that comes into their eyes because they've heard about us or someone somewhere along the line has mentioned it, that light in their eyes is incredibly overwhelming. And it's, it's gratitude on a level I've never experienced it before. We, there's communities where we haven't even started working and we hear thank you so many times that it stops sounding like a word and that's before we've started our work and that has been a a very very difficult thing but also a wonderful thing to experience because there's times where you can't help everyone in that community but being a part of it and and hearing just how grateful it is it, it really does fuel at least my passion for carrying on with the work that we do it's a situation that I don't think you can ever prepare yourself for and we were in Louisiana and I was doing interviews with homeowners who um, had lost most of their home through flooding or their homes were so badly infested with mold as a result of the flooding that they could no longer live there and so we went into this house and I was walking around and it, it looked pretty pretty okay um, at the one end until we got to the other side. And as we opened this door, it was just black mold everywhere. And oh this family was still living in there because they had nowhere to go. And when we explained to them that we, we can help you, we can do this. Um, she just started crying and just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And this was a complete stranger who you'd think, you know, people are quite guarded. They don't want to show their real emotion. But she just broke down in tears and was so grateful that we were there and just said, like, you've given me and my baby a future again. You've helped us to actually hope for something. And she had her, her little baby girl living with her. She had her mom. She had, I think it was her cousin or a niece or something like that. And this whole family had crammed into her house because it was the safest of the places to stay. And that was a hard thing to swallow because yes, we could provide her with a home, but I, I never followed up on whether or not we helped the other family members. But being a part of that lady's journey and giving her that hope, that was incredible. And so, yeah, I think every situation that we deal with a homeowner or with a school child or whatever it is, those situations are each of them are heart-wrenching, they are beautiful, and you walk away feeling on top of the world when you hear those words, thank you, because I don't think you will ever hear a thank you that means as much as that does. Wow, I'm. that was very powerful, Jess, very powerful. <laughs> I am in awe for what you do and for how you feel and the sensitivity that you also have within you to allow yourself to do what you're doing and open your heart and your soul to strangers. 
and you're so, so young, a huge inspiration for the world to just see young people, I mean, anybody truly, but to know that young people are spending their life, I mean, you are spending your life helping strangers and bringing that hope to them so that they can go back to some sort of normalcy in their life. Thank you so much for that. Truly, thank you so much. This organization, All Hands and Hearts, is incredible. And your purple shirt is bright and beautiful. <laughs> and yeah, so is there anything else? I mean, you've shared so much. Is there anything else that I haven't touched upon that you really want to bring out and talk about? No, I think I I want to thank you for allowing us to have this opportunity to speak on your podcast today. I want to thank my own staff and colleagues and our field teams because they are the ones who are really making this happen. We are, we're very much a family at all hands and hearts and we're a team who stands behind each other. We have each other's back and I'm so proud to be a part of that. I want to thank all of our volunteers because without them, we wouldn't be able to do this. And yeah, I just want to encourage anyone who's listening to to be a part of it because it, it's an experience that will change your life completely and will change it for the better. So come and join us. <laughs> we we want anyone, we want everyone, uh, come and join us. And uh, I can guarantee that you will not regret packing your bag and heading to a disaster zone. It's, it will be incredible. Well, thank you for that and your positive imprint. I would definitely like to help out in that, but hopefully we won't have another natural disaster for quite a while. But we know that Mother Nature does her thing when she wants. And as you say, we can't control nature, but we can control the actions we take. So thank you so much for bringing hope to the people globally in times of natural disasters. And come early, stay late. I appreciate you. Thank you, Jess. Thank you. Thanks, Catherine. For information on volunteering for All Hands and Hearts, you can go to their website, allhandsandhearts.org. You can also go to my website, yourpositiveimprint.com, where you can learn more about All Hands and Hearts organization, as well as find links to their other social media sites. Music for this podcast is by Chris Knoll. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram, Your Positive Imprint, as well as Twitter, at What's Your PI. After listening to this episode, please hit that subscribe button, as well as the five stars, and write a review. I certainly appreciate it. You are listening to Your Positive Imprint. What's your PI? Subscribe now.